Take your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 3 this morning. Romans chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start in Romans chapter 3, but we're going to move to a couple other places. And ultimately, we're going to end up in Romans chapter 5 at the very end. That will be where we cap our, our time together today. And coming off of that song, in thinking about and even speaking words, and saying, God, I, I need you now, many of us don't often consider the reality that we need God for anything until we need God for something. Does that make sense? In other words, oftentimes we develop our need for God based upon our own needs physically or tangibly, the things right in front of us that we go, I need God's help now. And ultimately what we often say in that moment is, I need God because I can't do this on my own anymore. Or, I need God because I've lost control of a situation, and so now I'm going to turn to God. And what we're going to identify today is the depth and reality that each one of us needs God every moment. And it reminds me of uh, that hymn, I need thee every hour. I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee. Not just in a moment, not just when I feel like I've lost control every hour. And it should develop in us this question of going, why do I need God at all? Everyone say, why? And Romans 3 brings about this reality. And I'm going to start reading in verse 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone say all. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show this righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we take a look this morning at a topic that at times can become controversial, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, unveil our vision to be able to see clearly what your word says regarding this subject. Lord, may you speak truth to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was preparing this message for today, I uh, had to consider a story uh, that happened to my wife and I several years ago, and it was at a time in our life where our oldest was uh, in her toddler years, so she would have been two or three at the time, and for any of you that have been parents, you know that this is a season that can just be trying at times. Some of you laugh. And the reality of this is, there's so much adventure there, it's, it's an exciting time, really. 
But it is a season where you see some things most blatantly that you as a parent never maybe considered you would see. Especially with your firstborn because you've never experienced this. And it's always, it's always kind of interesting to see your perspective before and after kids. Right? Because before you have kids, you, you look out and you see someone and maybe their kid is just being crazy. And you go, man, what's wrong? Can't they control that kid? And then you have a kid and you go, oh, this is nothing. You should see them when they're really out of, out of hand. Okay? But the reality was we had this sweet lady. I love her to death. And she had come over and she had made something, handmade something for our little girl. Okay? And she had put her heart and soul into this, and you just knew this lady was one. Every bone in her body screamed, I love people, I care about people, I cherish people. And she brought this to our daughter, and our daughter's response was, I don't like that. Okay? I don't want that. And this lady, in the sweetest tone possible, simply communicated to us, and she said, wow, this was a really healthy reminder to me that even you as parents deal with sin nature right now. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, what, what did you expect? Um, and of course, it was one of those moments as a parent, you go, well, there's nothing we can do to change it. And uh, you, maybe you feel embarrassed, but in the moment, it's just like, well, there's nothing you can do about that other than say thank you for your child, who is clearly not appreciative of this gift. But it brings about this reality that we see in Romans 3 that it is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we see that lived out even in our young children. And that doesn't stop as they get older. In fact, it increases as we often see when we enter adulthood. Many of us can look around and identify in our own lives and the lives of other people where sin has played an enormous role in affecting how things take place. And our, the third point of our statement of faith at, at the Evangelical Free Church focuses on something called the human condition. And this is what that third point states. It says that uh, we believe, and uh, I, I loved, I had someone bring to my attention this week, when we, when we say we believe... It really should be a resonate, a resonate of us going, we, we recognize that the Bible teaches this, okay? Not that we have created this system of thought, but we believe that God has orchestrated this to be the case. And so it's going to show up here. This is what this says. It says that um, we believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan in union with Adam. Human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under His wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. And so opening up Scripture and identifying that this very thought starts with the belief in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the, short of the glory of God. Everyone say all. And our big idea, our main point, so if you get nothing else out of today, this is what I want you to get. And it is this reality that sin separates, Jesus saves. Sin separates, Jesus saves. Now, many of us 
in our own minds, even in coming here, even if you've had no background in the Bible or church at all, you came here today with a definition in your mind of what sin is. Now, off the cuff, and just shout this out, how would you, if someone asked you to define sin, how would you define sin? What would you guys say? Disobeying God? Missing the mark? What else? Okay, going your way instead of God's way. Any other thoughts on this? Rebellion. Okay. Lack of love. Okay. So many of us could come here and honestly, we could probably sit here and go back and forth and shout some of these out in our own perception of what sin is. And many theologians define this sin we're talking about as something called total depravity. How many of you have heard that term before? Total depravity. A few of you have. Okay. This is a term. And as I've stated before, my desire in walking through this is to equip you with some theological terms that you might hear. And many of these weren't terms I was exposed to until I went to Bible college. And so my desire is to equip you with some of the same knowledge that I received when I was in school. But what's interesting is when we talk about total depravity, many people will question that and go, Even this idea that all have sinned or all of us is sinful because they look around and they go, well, I know some people that aren't even followers of Jesus and they still do some good things. And I know some individuals that don't have this concept of sin and salvation or even the same way I do, but they're still good moral people. And so we bring about this question is how can this be? A reality, this idea of total depravity that all we are is rooted in sin stemming from Genesis, really stemming from Adam in the Garden of Eden. And a a quote that I pulled out of a resource called Evangelical Convictions says this about it. It says, this doctrine does not mean that every person is as wicked as he or she can possibly be and engages in every possible form of sin. Nor does it mean that the unbeliever is totally insensitive in matters of conscience or never does anything that is good and right before other people or that sinful human beings cannot be fine citizens with high moral standards. Okay? None of that is what total depravity means and many of us can attest to that based on how we've seen people live out and about and around us. People we know, people we recognize and say, they're a good person. But what's really interesting is the second part of this definition says this, total depravity simply means that everything we are and everything we do is somehow affected by our sin. Everything we are and everything we do is somehow affected by our sin. Now, there's not a person in this room who wouldn't agree with that statement. Because every one of us, at some point in our life, and even currently can identify areas where either someone else's sin has affected us, or my own sin has affected areas of my life. And there's not a single area of my life that I can't identify that has been impacted or affected in some way. By sin. 
And to give you a couple more specifics as to what sin affects, I'm going to give you these statements. First one is that biblically sin affects the image we were created in. That's the first thing. Sin affects the image that we were created in. And if you put your finger in Romans and turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1 at the very beginning of your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. Specifically, verse 26 is where we're going to pick up. And in Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation account being given. This is where God is creating all living things. Everything in sequence, God is creating. And in verse 26, we see God create man. So Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, look up here for a minute, church. At the peak of God's creation, God steps away and sees all that He's created, and there's one more thing He has yet to do here. Mankind. And so God creates mankind in His image, and mankind, human beings, become the only created entity that is made in the image of God. The only created entity made in the image of God. Set apart from the rest of creation and offered a relationship with God that was unique to any other created being. Now the important thing to recognize here is that based in Genesis 1, all people are created in the image of God. All people are created in the image of God. Everyone say all. This means, practically, in application, that we should treat all people as God's image bearers. And some of us struggle to do that. And we may not even recognize it, but the reality of our sin, our depravity, becomes evident in how we treat certain people. And there should not be a person that we encounter in this world that we do not look at and go, they bear the image of God because that was a right given at creation. Every man, every woman is an image bearer of God. According to Genesis 1. Now, the point here is that sin affects the image we are created in. So flip just over to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. And I'm just going to read through this account so you, we grasp the entirety of what took place here. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now I read that account because it's the most visual explanation of how sin has affected the image we were created in. And we see this visibly in the lives of Adam and Eve when they come to this place where they had perfect communion with God and God had given them one command. And they broke that. They, they sinned. And all of a sudden, the relationship that they even had with God, the, the very image they were created in is now tainted by sin. And that, as we're going to see later on when we look at Romans 5, we're going to see that That carried over and every one of us now struggles with this reality of sin. And so while we're made in the image of God, our human nature is one that is constantly battling what God intended for us originally. And so there's a fight that takes place. How many of you would identify and say, I I recognize that fight sometimes daily. I recognize every one of us can point to a time in our life where we say, yes, I can visually see that in my own life. Sin affects the image we were created in. Secondly, sin affects the world we live in. 
And some of you saw this at the later part of Genesis chapter 3 where it said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. And if you turn back now to Romans, in Romans chapter 8, we're going to see how this carries over even more specifically. Romans chapter 8. Specifically starting in verse 18. It says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's an amen right there. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, church, the reality of this is that I want us to recognize sin not only affects us as humans... Sin has affected everything around us. And any of you that have ever raised a garden can attest to this. Because it's so frustrating. I can't tell you how many hours as a child I must have spent pulling weeds. And that was really good for me, but I did not enjoy that. And even now, it seems like It is hard work to grow and produce. And we even walk into places like the woods and you get things like poison ivy. If that's not an evidence of the curse of sin on the earth, I don't know what is. I get it really, really bad. And so we have to recognize that this, this, this concept of sin hasn't just affected us. But the world around us, Romans 8 tells us the creation is groaning, is longing for redemption. And I, I'm sad to say this, but many of us could take a lesson from creation in that sense. Where we're enjoying our sin and, and we have no daily craving to be freed from that bondage. And some of you here today are living in patterns and cycles where the, the only answer is you have, are enjoying your sin and not recognizing the effect that it's having on everything else. And many of us fall into that trap. I have fallen into that trap numerous times. And praise God for passages like 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 that says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're going to get more to that in a minute. 
Sin affects the image we were created in. Sin affects the world we live in. Thirdly, sin affects the relationships we are in. And this might be where we see sin rear its ugly face most in our lives. And many people will ask the question, why does sin affect my relationships with people? Everyone say, why? Have you ever considered what is at the root of our sin? Beyond going back to Genesis 1, what is really at the root of me choosing to sin? And I found this quote really interesting. But recognizing in the Bible, sin is simply putting oneself... At the center of the universe. Usurping the place of God. A theologian named John Stott puts it this way. He says, sin is the revolt of the self against God. The dethronement of God with a view to the enthronement of oneself. Ultimately, sin is self-deification. The reckless determination to occupy the throne which belongs to God Alone. Sin is the attempt to create a self-centered universe. I want us to think about that for a minute. When I choose to sin, I am choosing myself. And so when I come to a place... Where I question, why is it that my relationship with these people is so damaged, is so broken? You will trace that back to sin somewhere, guaranteed. Now maybe that sin is the sin of the person you're trying to have a relationship with that has caused that damage. But many times it's a sin issue on both sides of the relationship. And biblically, we see this. First, we see that sin affects the relationship we have with God. Now, that is not a, not a two-sided issue. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not a two-sided issue. We recognize that from passages like Ephesians 2, where it says that we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not of our own doing. It's not of works so that no man could boast. It's a gift of God. God has shown His love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to read that passage together too. But in Micah 3.4 it says, Then they will cry to the Lord, but He will not answer them. He will hide His face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Similar In a similar way, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. I don't know about you, but I read passages like that, and I get this pit in my stomach. Because how many times have I expected something from God and yet unwilling to relinquish the sin in my own life? How many times have I approached God and pleaded and even been angry at God because He didn't answer my prayer the way I want Him to answer? And yet I'm unwilling 
to bring myself to a place of going, God, I have forsaken you. I have, I have dethroned you in my life and put myself where only you belong. We have to consider that, church. And not only does it affect our relationship with God, but it affects our relationship with each other. And one of the most profound examples of that is the first murder that was ever committed in Genesis chapter 4. You have the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, and then chapter 4 you have these two brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. And the one becomes jealous. Cain becomes jealous of Abel, and he kills him. Murders him. And for the first time we see the effect of sin on personal relationships with people. And you and I see that constantly today. Sin affects the relationships we are in. And yet our big idea for today, sin separates, Jesus saves. Sin separates, Jesus saves. Now, this first portion can be kind of just a grim message. You might be sitting here going, man, this is really bleak. This is kind of a dark Sunday. And you know what? For the beginning of this, that was my my hope because sin is a really dark thing. And the impact and the effect of sin goes beyond your own life. When you sin, it doesn't just affect you, church. It affects those people closest to you. It affects your relationship with God. And we have to stop and consider that when we choose to walk in sin, how in the world can we expect God to just bless us? It is so foolish of us. And it breaks my heart. When I see people who are convinced that God is not a good loving God because He hasn't done good in their life and yet the very issues that they're struggling with are rooted in sin has nothing to do with God. And so this has to be a darkness that we recognize. But praise God, it doesn't have to stay that way. Sin separates Jesus saves. Turn to Romans 5 and we're going to read this. And I'm just going to walk through, I'm going to read this whole chapter of Romans 5 because I love God's Word and I love when God's Word can do the teaching. And, uh, That's part of why I love standing up here and opening the Bible with you, is because God's Word does the teaching. And Romans 5 is one of those passages that if we read it thoughtfully, it's the sermon in itself. In verse 1 it starts, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you long for peace with God? All of us should. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Everyone say rejoice. 
Not only that, but we rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. This one's a hard one. Rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now I want to pause here for a second. When did God determine He was going to step in the gap for us? Was it when things were going well? When we seemed to have control? When we seemed to have it figured out? For while we were still weak, verse 6, verse 8, while we were still sinners, verse 9, while we were enemies. Church, God isn't waiting for you to get your sin figured out before He sent His Son for you. God didn't say that you come to Him clean first and then we'll talk about salvation. The powerful nature of God's grace and all that He offers is rooted in the fact that it is while we were in our darkness, while we are in our sin, while we were in our brokenness that Christ came and died. And this is unlike anything else, as it identifies. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Eh, I don't know if I, would, if I would die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Yeah, you know, they're a, I think they're a pretty good person. I, I would give my life for them. No, no. While we were still weak, still sinners, enemies, God sent Jesus. Do we live like that? Do we really live like God sent Christ when we were at our darkest place? Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. 
For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful, powerful truth. And so what is the reality in Romans 5? Church, it's this. Jesus is our only hope. And what do we gain in Christ? What do we gain in Christ? In Christ, you are rescued. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not only rescued, you are reconciled. The simplicity of that term means you're restored. That damage that has been done to the image we were created in. That gap is filled only through Jesus. Only through Christ. You're rescued. You're reconciled. And thirdly, you are renewed. You're renewed. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everyone say new The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everyone say new. All this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Church, in all of this, Where do you stand? Some of you here are living in sin patterns and you like your sin. And you can talk your way around it. But the reality is, you like your sin. Others of you may come in here and you go, I've never even heard about this. And you go, what do I do? Where's our only hope? It's in Jesus. It's in Christ. And Scripture tells us if we simply believe that Jesus came, that we might have life, that we'll be saved. And that's where 2 Corinthians come in and says, therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Guess what? That means new steps established, 
turn in direction. To repent means to turn and go the other way. And some of you here today may simply be going, man, I've heard this before and I seek to live by this, but I'm wrestling. Praise God that you're wrestling. It's that tension, okay? That tension is not going away until eternity. Which means we always need to have our guard up. Peter told us that when he said the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. It's constant. But recognize that we don't have to stay in our sin. We don't have to live in darkness. And the reality is, when we come to the cap of this, is that sin is self-serving, but Jesus serves. Sin rots. But Jesus restores. Sin brings forth hell, but Jesus brings forth hope. Sin separates, but Jesus saves. There is no separation caused by sin that can't be healed in Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and we're going to pray that God would use this in our lives to glorify Him. Father, may we walk in a way in which we long to live as followers of Jesus, not rooted in our sin. God, may we recognize the darkness of our sin in a way that contrasts the righteousness of who You are. God, forgive us for allowing ourselves to be apathetic when it comes to these truths. God, forgive me for being apathetic when it comes to these truths. Lord, may you break us when we take a look at our sin and we take a look at the impact and the effect that it has, may you bring us to a place where we would humbly walk before you, but that we would not remain in the darkness, God. We believe, everyone say we believe, that there is hope in Jesus. So may we walk in that hope. Jesus' name.